Hi everyone, uh, I'm Barak. I'm Alita, hello. Um, and today we're doing a knowledge video and this is really on how to approach acute heart failure, so acute pulmonary edema, and also a little bit about how to manage chronic heart failure on the wards. Um, this is a, a very common thing uh, that you're going to encounter as an IMT for sure, uh, and therefore something that can very well and has previously come up in uh, IMT interviews. So it's uh, very important to be able to do it well. Um, slightly different to some of the other stations in that the history is probably not as important, for example, cardiac chest pain, the history is the absolute key discriminator. Here, actually, the key discriminator is actually your examination and your management. And that's very important. You have to do well as an IMT and to be able to do a good fluid status examination is uh, probably one of the most important facets you have to have and show that you have as a potential IMT to be. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll talk very briefly through uh, a patient with well, assessing patient acutely with pulmonary edema first and then we want to the uh, more chronic setting. Um, okay, so have you done it? Great. So I think there'll probably be a, a simulation video later on um, that you can also look at for you know, a stage simulation of how a pulmonary edema station would work. But this is just to give you a bit of background, as Valerick said, and sort of some extra knowledge to help you uh, handle the, um, the scenario if it comes up in your IT interview. So I think that we'll, we're, we've planned to approach it with your call to see someone in acute pulmonary edema. Um, so, you know, you get the phone call, you go up to the ward, let's say it's a patient you don't know from before. I mean, obviously there's kind of two things you have to do in tandem almost and in which in real life you'd be able to do at the same time in an interview you have to just say that you'd want to do have a sort of immediate assessment of the patient uh, with a set of observations to try and triage the situation and see how unwell they are um looking specifically obviously at uh, o2 sats and respiratory rate as it's a you know that's where they're going to be um that's probably going to be the most telling in the first instance but at the same time you also want to get a good SBAR from the nurses or from the team that's called you so I think that's quite good to contextualize the situation so just say that you know I'd go to assess the patient and then along with asking for an immediate set of observations to help me understand um the sort of acuity of the situation I'd also want a clear uh, handover from the nursing team or the parent team in charge of this patient um as it's someone who's unknown to me um, in that SBAR, you'd probably want to tease out why is this patient admitted to hospital? How long have they been here? And what have they come in for? Have they come in for a cardiac, uh, are they a cardiology patient? Have they come in for a cardiac cause? Or are they a, a different patient on a surgical ward or on a geriatric ward or an endocrinology ward who have also who've gone into pulmonary edema for a different reason? Um, or they may have existing cardiac pathology. That's not their main cause of admission. So I think that's quite important to tease out in the first instance. Um, with the OBS, so you want to ask for a full set of OBS and they'll probably, it's good to elaborate and say you want a respiratory rate, a heart rate, um, a O2 sat and uh, a blood pressure. Um, all four of them will actually be crucial in your assessment of the pulmonary edema and your management of the situation. Um, and I think important to say that along with the O2 sats, you'd also want to know uh, what the normal O2 sats range is like. So let's say they're on a respiratory ward and they're a COPD patient and their yeah. normal sats are between 80 and 92. Um, you want to know that early on to try and titrate your management accordingly. So I think that's essentially how I would ask for the OBS. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Valerie, in the first sort of immediate assessment. No, I think I'd say, I'd say S, uh, clear SBAR from the nursing team and the medical team looking after the patients. Uh, and I, think, I really like what you said there about the OBS and actually spelling out, the, if you can spell out the examiner, the OBS are crucially important 
in how you manage and where you manage the patient. That's already showing a far yeah. higher level of uh, ability than just your average IMT. Um, and then that final point, out, knowing their normal their normal observations, that's so, so important and so often missed out. So knowing what their normal blood pressure is, knowing what their normal uh, normal SATs or target SATs are is crucially important to how you manage uh, this patient. And yeah. then I think, so I think if they, I mean, it depends how the scenario goes and if they want to do it as an acute sort of, you know, uh, an acute emergency scenario, they'll tell you maybe what the SATs are. And if they're very low, then I think obviously the immediate response should be, um, you know, you offer them oxygen, you, you make sure the patient's got oxygen, uh, usually from a non rebreathed mask, and then you can wean that down as able. I think that's the safest thing to go to in this scenario. Um, unless obviously they're, you know, a known retainer, et cetera, which can be more a bit more nuanced. But I think in the first instance, if they're hypoxic, you offer them a non-rebreather, make sure that's on, and then you can kind of titrate that down as you go. Um, then you, so that's the SATs done. So then if you look at the respiratory rate, you want to know kind of, uh, I mean, again, it's I think, important I, I, I think approach here. Before, 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 before we move on there, I think the only other thing I think would be really good to add is to know their escalation status and what yes. they and, and what they uh yeah essentially what what level of care they can they can have is it itu and for for everything for full resuscitation and itu care or is it they're actually just for um level two care so that's inotropes and niv or they're just for level one care which means no no inotropes no niv no cpap and that's very important and again it, again it's a clear five out of five point if you can say that if you can say i want to know their escalation status and specifically uh, whether they're for inotropes uh, and NIV. Yeah. Uh, you know. And then I think I think from there, then you can, you know, once you've established that, I think uh, once you've got the OBS, they might they will just give them to you in the interview. Uh, it's, it's, it's so brief. Um, and then you proceed with your ATE approach, essentially. Uh, so, you know, again, airway is a patent. It likely will be in this scenario. And then breathing, that's probably where you get the most kind of uh, clinical signs here, I guess, from um, and breathing and circulation, I guess, uh, from in this pulmonary edema scenario. So look at the breathing. So again, you've got the SATs, you want to look at the respiratory rate. Are they working hard to breathe? Um, are they using lots of accessory muscles? Do they look like they're tiring? Often patients with pulmonary edema can be quite scary, actually. It's one of the, even though it's a sort of a standard medical emergency, it can be quite frightening to see someone in pulmonary edema. Uh, the patient often looks very, very, very uncomfortable. And I think you can tell a lot just from observing the respiratory pattern and flow um, from the end of the bed, really, and seeing how, what the pattern is like and they often get tired quite quickly. Um, so I think it'd be good to say you'd want to comment on that and look at the accessory muscles in particular. Um, at the same time as breathing, you could say that you'd want to get someone to take a, uh, to take a blood gas. Well, so obviously you're, you're working with a team here. Uh, so I think having, you know, if you could ask someone to take an arterial blood gas, or you've taken arterial blood gas at this point as well, to try and incorporate one of those investigations into your AT assessment, um, because that will take a while to go and to be run and get some results, et cetera. So I think having that included is a good thing. Um, and then, yeah, and then in terms of circulations, I mean, you want to look at the blood pressure, definitely. Um, I mean, it could be high, it could be low. I think the, the important thing that there is that it will help you titrate the management accordingly, um, because the, the management for this patient will be something like furosemide uh, or another diuretic. So I think it's important to have the blood pressure early on because you'll know how much you're safely able to give. Um, and it might kind of give you an idea of, you know, are they in cardiogenic shock? which is something we'll briefly touch on but um i think that's quite important to ask for specifically so what is the blood pressure now and i think it's useful to say what was the blood pressure earlier to see if there's been an acute change in it as well 
Um, and then with DNA, I guess, I mean, yeah, look at the GCS. I think GCS is actually quite important pulmonary DMAP. And with the, you know, if they're working quite hard to breathe, they can get a little bit confused, obviously, over time um, with the hypoxia. And I think they may, may not be tolerating things so well. And the GCS will be important as well for when you're considering more advanced uh, therapies as well, such as NIV, which we'll touch on later on. Um, but I think that's important to have in the first instance, in the first assessment. Yeah. No, I think that's a, that's absolutely spot on. As you said, I think uh, you could even, I think once you said, uh, understanding isolation letters, and you say examination using using the OBS, and immediately, I think you say buzzwords like, my immediate focus is trying to stabilize the patient through my A to E assessment. Um, and really importantly, to try and understand, um, to try and understand and do a very good fluid assessment, uh, fl fluid status assessment. Words like that already encompass a whole set of your examination without necessarily needing to mention every single bit. The examiner can already even slightly switch off and be like, okay, yeah, great. They know what they're talking about. So fluid status assessment, I think, is incredibly important in any, uh, in actually any cardiac uh, cardiac examination. So fluid status assessment. And you can, I think you can go one stage further in your A2 assessment. You can try and say, yeah, uh, I'm looking at obviously the respiratory rate and giving them supplementary oxygen uh, as needed, but also thinking about whether there's signs of whether there's signs of right heart failure or left heart failure. You can touch and you can touch upon a few of them, and that shows that you're uh, thinking about things at a slightly more advanced level. So right heart failure is obviously signs such as a raised JVP and fluid overload, uh, and left heart failure is things such as pulmonary edema. Um, and that's that's all we need to say. Uh, and then yeah, and then. I, don't forget to mention that in the cardiac examination, you also listen for other things, such as uh, you uh, listen for things like murmurs um, or an S3 sound or whether there's any muffled heart sounds. These are all things that can contribute towards a deterioration in heart failure. A murmur would be aortic stenosis. Muffled heart sounds would be uh, uh, pericardial effusion. So these are also other important things to pick up in your examination. And it's unlikely that they're going to be, that's going to be the answer here, but it, it just shows the examiner that you're a very impressive candidate, not just focusing on purely the pulmonary edema, but also thinking about the precipitum behind it. Um, yeah. And that's, uh, I think that, that's very important. And then also, I think whilst this is an acute medical uh, assessment, and that's very important, you've outlined their escalation status. And at some point here, you do then need to be saying, I would like to get a brief history either from the patient or a collateral history for how they've been recently whether they've deteriorated very significantly uh recently what their functional status is um because it's important for you to know what the team thought their escalation status should be but also for you to get an understanding of what their functional status is because that might tie into what they should and shouldn't be for in terms of escalation and it may not even be decided yet their escalation status this may be an a and e and secondly, you can say, I'd like to understand if they've deteriorated very recently, i.e. in the last few days, because there may have been a significant event that's contributed towards deterioration, i.e. they may have had a heart attack uh, recently, um, which has caused their heart failure to get significantly worse. Yeah. Um, so yeah, something along, along, along those lines, their history about their functional status, what they, what they previously could do for themselves, and how quickly this deterioration has occurred. Uh, and that will help you understand whether there's a particular um, event that has caused this, such as a heart attack. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think along with that history, just a, a good review of the drug chart as well. Um, are they already on diuretics or are they not? Because if they're already on big doses of furosemide, adding, you know, 20 milligrams more is not going to do very much in this setting. If they've never, ever had furosemide before and the blood pressure is on the lower side, I think, you know, 40 milligrams of IV furosemide is a good go to um, if the blood pressure allows it. But you can also give it it's something. I, I don't know if this is standardized at all, but I find that you can give it in 20 milligram kind of aliquots, you know, and just titrate it to, to the blood pressure. So you don't give a big dose all at once and then the blood pressure tanks. Um, but you get the same effect of the diuresis. So I think that's something to think about is just have a look at the drug chart to see is there anything that you can optimize on there and what kind of uh, heart failure medications are they already on to allow you to be able to decide what to give them further. So I think, I think, I think that's a, uh, a really, a really, really good point. Um, drug history of you. And yeah. the, the, in terms of the, the buzzwords you're looking there for is you can just say, I'd like to review their drug, their drug history to see if they're diuretic naive or not. Mm. And diuretic naive, for those of you who don't know, just means they've not really previously been on big dose of diuretics. So a small dose will probably have a big effect on them. And you don't need to say much more than that. Once you've said the phrase diuretic naive, it's a, the interview already know exactly what you exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, which is a really good way to get those marks. Um, and then I guess, uh, I mean, if we just as part of your ATE, I mean, it's kind of an investigation, I suppose, but an ECG is also obviously crucial here. Um, yeah, well, I, I think you can split it now. So you've done your yeah. ATE assessment. Now we can talk about the bedside investigations yeah. and, uh, and others. So, yeah, so I think, I mean, at this, I mean, obviously we, we did the, we asked for an arterial blood gas, so hopefully you have the results of that gas back. And then based on the, you know, PO2 there, and you can interpret the blood gas and decide how much oxygen you think this patient needs and whether um, it will also give you a good idea of, sort of how much help you need in terms of escalating them further do you maybe need uh, uh, I mean I think you know a good point if they're very unwell at this point obviously is to call your medical registrar early um yeah. do you possibly also need to get HDU involved or ITU involved will the patient need CPAP I mean is this something that you can safely deliver in this area or do they need to be in a monitored area it just depends where the patient is um so say that you would look at the gas and be able to and start thinking about where the patient should be best managed based on the results of that and also how to titrate the oxygen based on that. Um, and then an ECG would be the next investigation. I think you just want, it's an easy way to kind of rule out acute ischemia as this cause of decompensation. Um, so you'd want to do an ECG at that point, or, you know, get help, uh, enlist the help of the nurses to help you do that. Um, so you can do it together and then try and ascertain whether there is any acute ischemia, which has tipped this patient over into pulmonary edema. Um, or a new event causing sort of quite a quite profound event causing uh, cardiac failure at the same time. So. Yeah, no, I think that's, I, 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 don't agree. I think they have the only things to add. I think you could say, uh, you know, using using the, the ABG, I can understand whether they're hypoxic, and specifically whether they're in type one or type, whether they have any signs of type one or type two respiratory failure, because that's very important. Because and just saying the words type one and type two respiratory failure mean that you show the examiner that you know there's difference between the two and it insinuates that you know there's difference in management and you can even spell it out you can say type one or type two respiratory failure which would um which might need oxygen and cpap or niv respectively um yeah. which shows that you know there's cpap for type one and uh niv bipap um for uh type two and the other thing i want to mention oh yeah so on the ecg a bit different to the chest pain history here, you can say, as Nandi said, so you could do, I'm doing an ECG, so looking for any signs of any recent ischemia or any uh, uh, or any underlying arrhythmias which are precipitating this heart failure. 
Um, and the other thing I think one could say is if they're on telemetry, you could offer to look at their telemetry um, to see if there has been any significant arrhythmias uh, or pauses that have been uh, that could be causing their decompensation or contributing towards their decompensation. Yeah, um, absolutely. You could also yeah. say that you'd look for some um, evidence of like left ventricular hypertrophy on the ECG as well, which might kind of point to chronic, I guess. Yeah, it's just an yeah. extra marker there, yeah. but it's not something that's crucial. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the most, I mean, one of the most important investigations along with the ECG will be your portable chest X-ray. And I think key to say that it's portable in this instance. So you recognize the acuity of this patient. I mean, you know, obviously it depends on the OBS. And if, if it's just someone with a bit of, um, if it's true pulmonary edema, I mean, the patient cannot move in that situation to go to the X-ray department. And it's easy in the heat of the moment to forget about that, to say you get a chest X-ray. But I think to say it's portable chest X-ray already just in one word shows that you realize that this is a medical emergency or this is veering towards an emergency situation. Um, and you need kind of all hands on deck to get the uh, X-ray as soon as you can. So... That's, I, th I think it's incredibly important, yeah. Portable, portable chest x-ray. Um, and you say looking for signs uh, of, pulmonary, of, of pulmonary edema or any other uh, respiratory pathologies. And again, that just shows that you're still keeping an open mind. Uh, and then obviously the next thing would be to consider a, a bedside v, a bedside v scan, uh, bedside echo. Uh, and again, the best, the best candidates will say what they're looking for, bedside echo to look for, to assess the left ventricular function and really what you're looking for is actually any reversible anything reversible so you say a better like it to look for left ventricular to look at left ventricular function uh, and whether there are any reversible uh, cardiac issues such as large pericardial effusion um, or any signs of recent ischemia and that can be ascertained on a bedside scan bedside echo just by people, just in case people don't know, V scan and V scan is another term for a bedside echo. Um, yeah, and then after that, I suppose. So you've talked about some of your portable investigations. That's your X-ray yeah. and your echo. And I guess just to make sure you say to send off a set of bloods um, at the same time, um, and I mean, you know, obviously say full set of bloods, including FVC, using these clotting. Um, but nice to. I think it's quite nice to just add in a little bit here and there about why you want to send certain bloods off. because so Everybody can recount that, you know, the full panel of bloods, but it's nice to be able to show that you appreciate how that those bloods will guide you in this situation. Um, so you want to send, I mean, the renal function would be very useful for titrating the diuretics as well. Um, and also for seeing any effect on the kidneys of being of the fluid overload. So it helps with volume status overall as well, including looking at the sodium. Um, and then you'd want to also uh, send off additional blood tests, obviously, to send off for a troponin to see if any acute ischemia has exacerbated, has sort of triggered this event or causes exacerbation um, of heart failure and then BNP as well. Um, and, you know, you could say that you'd want to, if they've got BNPs in the past, you'd want to compare it to that just to show that you have an understanding of the way BNP works and it, 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 you can look at the trend over time essentially and changes from the baseline. Yeah, just so people know, so BNP is higher when you have a, uh, when you're more fluid overloaded. In someone with heart failure so if you have pre-existing heart failure and you are very fluid over at the moment your bmp will be much higher than when you're uh much more towards your dry weight so it's a so yeah what one nice phrase to use is i'd use a bmp uh so that we can look at the trend and bmp is used to prognosticate uh prognosticate heart failure as well yeah absolutely um and then i think we probably move nicely 